Kathleen Doyle Bates, actress and director. Bates began her career on the stage and was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Lead Actress in a Play in 1983 for her performance in Night Mother. And I saw that on Broadway. For her portrayal of Annie Wilkes in the 1990 film Misery, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress. She followed this with roles in Fried Green Tomatoes, Dolores Claiborne, and Titanic. She received her second and third Academy Award nominations for Primary Colors and About Schmidt in the category of Best Supporting Actress. She is also the recipient of two Golden Globes, two Screen Actors Guild Awards, three American Comedy Awards, and two BAFTA nominations. Bates' television work has resulted in 14 Emmy nominations, including two for her role as Harriet Harry Korn on the NBC series Harry's Law, also loved, and a win for her portrayal of uh, Delphine LaLaurie on the third season of American Horror Story. In 2012, she received the Emmy for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series for her appearance on the ninth season of Two and a Half Men. She also received Emmy, Golden Globe, and SAG Award nominations for her portrayal of Miss Hannigan in the 1999 television adaptation of Annie. Her directing credits include several episodes of the HBO series Six Feet Under, uh, as well as Homicide, Oz, uh, and the self-starring Ambulance Girl. We're here in the Meadows School of the Arts. We're in front of the Bob Hope Theater at the SMU Meadows Owen Arts Center, which was dedicated while you were a student at Meadows on November 21st, 1968. Bob Hope was here and officially presented the theater to the school. You were in the premiere performance at the new theater, Hotel Paradiso, <laughs> which also included your classmates, John Arnone, Garland Wright, and Belita Moreno, all of whom also went on to have successful artistic careers. Could you tell us a little about that experience? Well, it was very exciting, but I had a tiny role and it, I think it was the first farce that we did. Mm -hmm. um, what I loved about being here in the theater department at the time was that we played in all different, as you know, uh, different styles, mm -hmm. Greek, you know, Shakespeare, Chekhov, you name it. And so this was one of our first Fado farces. And uh, the thing that stuck with me most about that night mm -hmm. was because uh, there's a spiral staircase that goes down from the Bob Hope. Yes and uh, down into the dressing rooms and the classroom areas. And I remember I was going to head down that staircase, and up came Bob Hope's wife. And she was all in a tizzy because she was in a long evening gown, you know, light green, very diaphanous, and she couldn't find Bob anywhere, and she was not in a good mood at mm. all, you know. So that's all I remember about that night. And also, I think the costumer left a straight pin in my, oh. <laughs> my costume. They always say that that means the costumer doesn't like you. <laughs> but I think it's just because, you know, they made a mistake. But it, it was uh, it was crazy. It was fun. And, and for me, uh, making that transition from a university 
yes. just going two or three times a week to acting classes to a, a real conservatory. I, I just, it, it was a miracle for me to be mm. here at that time. And at that foundation that I received in yes. training, uh, and I don't know, do you feel the same way about that? The Absolutely. foundation? Absolutely. Th- really? And a very strong foundation. Yeah, and it, it really lasts. That can lasts. take you any direction. Yeah, it could. And, and the discipline yes. and the respect for the craft. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I think stood me in good stead for so many years. So how did you enter in terms of acting? Uh, you're from Memphis and you moved to Dallas, Texas to yeah, I, attend school here. Well, I had very... My parents were, were much older. Uh, I came along late in life. And my father had always said, I have two older sisters, and he always said, um, I'll give you girls two years at college. Mm. And, and as my mother said, come back with an MRS degree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> I, I think I was really clueless at that age. And um, uh, I, 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 I didn't, I guess because they said it to me in that way, I didn't envision college as a real big deal in my future. Hmm. I'd done a lot of plays in high school, and I really loved it. We had a great speech teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, and you came in as an English major? Yeah, I came in as an English major, and I was in the School of the Humanities, and I believe the, the man that was speaking uh, during orientation was a man named Joe Harris. Mm. And he was such a wonderful speaker, very impassioned. And he said, this is where you're going to begin your life's work. The thing you want to do the most, the thing you're the most passionate about. And and the whole playing field completely changed for me. And I, I thought, wow, can I, can I be an actor? Mm. Can I be in the theater? And can I do all this stuff? And then he finally was just so exasperated with me. He said, okay, here's your folder. You're in the wrong school. Go down the hall, art school, last door on the left. That's where you belong. So I went down there in my little villager dress and my Weegians, you know, and I opened the door and there were all these hippies in there with (laughs) beards and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, my Lord, I, I, you know, what am I going to, I don't, who, I I just didn't know. So I changed my major back and forth two or three times. My father said, you're not doing science. You're not doing, you know, Mm. chemistry. And I went to see a play up at the Arden Playhouse up in the Rotunda, and I saw Garland Wright in a play called Queen Esther and the Yellow Ganders, and I Mm. saw that, and I thought, and it's just like, Mm. you know, sometimes something will hit you, like right in the solar plexus, Mm -hmm. and I thought, wow, I'll do anything I have to do to be a part of this, because it just hit me how special it was, and how wonderful they were, how talented they were, Mm. and that was it for me, and yes. it was such a marvelous group of people at the time. When did you realize how wonderful you are? Oh, I don't, I, I guess I always wanted to be an actor, but it took me a long time, Regina, because I, we had a great department head at the time, Dr. Burnett Hopgood, and, mm-hmm. and what really helped was when it, we sat down in our first class, because I think we were really not a, allowed to get on stage till our sophomore year, and I remember him talking to all of us and saying, it's going to take you 15 years to do this, mm-hmm. the same as if you were going to be a doctor or a lawyer, uh, you're going to have to um, learn your craft, you're going to have to build up an audience, you're going to have to become known, he said that takes a lot of time, mm-hmm. and instead of deflating me it it made me relax Mm -hmm. and I thought okay 
I've got time because I really needed to work hard. I don't know if you had the same experience, but, you know, we would learn something and then we would get up on stage and half of that would fall away, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and, and then I'd have to go back and then I'd learn a little bit more and I'd get up there and some more would fall away. And so it really took me a long time. And I, I remember it took almost to the day in, in, in New York when 15 years later where I really felt I was ready, Hmm. that I knew what it was, that I, you know, that I I could break it down a script. I was confident and I could do do the work as a professional. What lessons did you learn here that sustained you, that you continue to uh, go, yes, uh, that is my foundation? Uh, What lessons and who are the people? Um, Well, Hobbs, certainly. Um, Jack Clay, who Hmm. was our acting professor. Yes, he was my acting teacher, too. Yes. Uh, He's still cooking Uh, up in Seattle. Yes, he is. He was so, I remember getting up in class one time and I started laughing and he said, sit down, you're not ready to work. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if he was like right, that, that with you guys. Like that. Yes. But yeah, he was, the respect, I think, for the craft is what I learned here. Mm-hmm. And that um, I was very much in love with the Greek playwrights and, and, and learning about theater history was very important to me and how... Uh, theater for them was a religious experience and catharsis Mm. was the goal Mm -hmm. and that to me elevated the craft to a level that gave me a sense of purpose that I thought okay this is this is worth something in the world Mm -hmm. and um, it's been been a battle through the years especially as as uh, my career has gone on and and there's more and more now available out there which is wonderful on the one hand but sometimes it's fast food catharsis. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, some mm-hmm. of it's inter- entertainment, which is wonderful, which mm-hmm. I enjoy. Um, but those really special films, it's, it's, each film is a miracle anyway, but there are so few that really rise to the level of something so moving that it changes your heart and I think has the power to change the world. Hmm. Uh, you moved to New York after you graduated. Did you consider L.A. first? No, not at all. Um, I had friends who were two years Jack Hefner who wrote Vanities and Garland Wright, Mm. and they moved to New York ahead of us. Mm. And then um, halfway through my senior year, my dad had a heart attack, Mm. and um, I had been able to gather enough credits with our summer program that SMU sponsored at a theater out in Santa Maria. And so they were able to graduate. And I remember moving to New York in January and I'd never been to a city like that. Hmm. And it was such an adjustment for me. Seeing my first subway was like seeing a dinosaur. Hmm. And they had a great apartment and uh, they were doing, they were going up to Stratford. So I got a chance to take their place at the apartment. And it, again, it was a struggle, mm-hmm. you know, waiting yes. tables, going to work at offices and, mm-hmm. and not figure, I just didn't know how am I going to get into the professional aspect because if you didn't belong in the union you couldn't go to the union auditions Mm -hmm. so it was it actually I went home after that first couple of years I was working at the Museum of Modern Art and and ended up in the accounting department and then they Mm. came to me and they said you know 
maybe you want to study to be an accountant. And I thought, okay, wow, this is, I'm totally going in the wrong direction here. Yeah. So it, it is interesting, the different, you know, trajectories, just in terms of what earning a living, was it, trying to live in. What was it like for uh, you? Absolutely the same. I had a lot of odd jobs, including going out in the middle of the night putting up posters of plays that I would not be oh in. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was... Uh, uh, also, as you're saying, uh, understanding the connections that you make right here in terms of, of uh, fellow students, others that pass through your life, that will continue to be a part of your life. Mm -hmm. uh, moving to New York, not having a place to stay, uh, knocking on a fellow student's door and saying, can I have your couch? Mm -hmm. uh, experiences. I always like the worst experience. Uh, what was going, oh my God. Uh, I, I don't know if I can, if I can uh, do this, weather this. Um, I think I did. There were many moments like that. Mm -hmm. um, it was hard sometimes to hold on to uh, the, um, the value of the craft that I learned here. Yes. Uh, and there were times that it just seemed self-aggrandizing or, I, I, or it, it was like there was no there there. And a lot of times I, I just thought, okay, I've got to go do something else. But some, I'd get a job and it would pull me back in. And I ended up doing children's there. I think my first equity role was playing a duck mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> in story uh -huh. theater. Yeah. And uh, then that took me to New York to do children's theater. Mm -hmm. And then one thing led to another. Jack wrote Vanities. Yes. And that was really the turning point, Jack Hefner's play. Ah, yes. And a friend. What for you? What for you? Oh, Oh, uh, that was intro uh, the introduction here that I have for Rosemary Tischler. Uh, she's casting agent for the public theater. Mm -hmm. uh, she did um, a workshop here and, and said, uh, whenever you come to New York, uh, give me a call. Give oh, my me God. Card. And I started uh, working at the public theater from Spear Carrier to uh, understudying Map of the World. Uh, Alfred Woodard uh, was in it. Uh, and to um, this continuing uh, uh, relationship with them so that I was the first African-American woman to play Juliet on Broadway <gasps> uh, through that company. You landed in Clover. Uh, it, it, it wasn't easy. <laughs> no, I'm sure. <laughs> it was. I had I'm a sure. seven-year plan, and I, I thought, okay, if I can't play, pay my rent by then, uh, I think I have to look in a different direction. And did it take all seven years? It, or did it took exactly seven. Really? All of those seven years. Really? And it was with the support. Who directed uh, the, the uh, Romeo and Juliet? Oh, Miss... Um, Oh, God. Uh, she was in Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, I know who you're talking Estelle about. Estelle Parsons. That's right. Yes. Yep. Uh, yes. And what was that first break for you? Uh, let's see. Um, I guess Vanities was. Yes. And then I was so fortunate to get the role in uh, Marcia Norman's play, Night Mother. And it yes. wasn't written for me. It was written mm. for a wonderful actress from Kentucky. Yes. Uh, Marcia was from there. And uh, an actress by the name of Susan Kingsley. And um, But Susan had kids at home. And so when it came time to do a play in New York, she just never wanted to be a Broadway star. Mm -hmm. You know, she still had babies at home. And uh, you so had a play written for you. Well, it was really written. Oh, you mean uh, with Terrence? Yes. 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 I, that was that was very lucky. And that actually led to misery. Was that lucky? Um, I think it's all lucky. Mm. I mean, but 
it's who is it that said, I think Louis Pasteur said, chance favors the prepared mind. Yes. So if you're prepared, and, and the, my focus was always on the work. Mm-hmm. You know, if the, I wanted the work to be good enough, I wanted to be the best I could be. Right. Didn't you? Uh, absolutely. It is the dedication, the weathering it through, and knowing that if you're prepared in the right moment, it, there's a possibility. Yes. Uh, with misery, then, uh, you said Well, that. with Frankie, I mean, I had a mm-hmm. wonderful relationship and still do. We've had a rocky relationship at times with Terrence McNally. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we had such a wonderful production. And then the, the screenwriter, William Goldman, who just passed away, of course, he did all the President's Men and Butch Cassidy and say he'd... Um, He'd been invited to write the script for Misery, and he came mm. to Frankie and Johnny. Mm. And so he went back to Rob Reiner, and he said, I think you ought to see her. Mm. Um, so, And as Rob said at the time, he thought that, that I had that kind of naive eagerness that, that Annie Wilkes had. So I think the casting was very spot on for me. I felt that that, that role was a real good fit. And it was great that at that point you had done some films, but you weren't a name, and here you are in a lead in mm-hmm. a film. Uh, that was really wonderful. Yeah, it, it, and those are few and far between. I've, I've been lucky with Misery and a couple of other films, but I'm mainly a character actor. And um, oh, You are a lead actress. Oh, well, yes, I, I don't know. More and more characters. <laughs> so a lot of old ladies with cancer, that's what I it's, get these days. It's wonderful to uh, be able to take, the, take us on those journeys. Journeys, uh, whether one is considered uh, supporting or you have uh, the breadth and width of a lead actress. Uh, yes. Uh, no matter if it's a supporting actress. Well, yeah, we. we uh, you have that capacity. Yeah, I, well, and, and especially with the American Horror Story, it's because mm. it's a, such a troop. You know, I mean, it's um, to work with people like Sarah Paulson and Angela Bassett, and mm-hmm. e- Evan Peters, and, you know, it goes on and on. It's, and it's like a, a rep company every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be able to play those juicy parts yes. that that you just don't see a lot of on TV. It's getting better and better, especially for women and women of color and yes. minorities and Asian women. And, and you have been leading the way in terms of women. Yes, uh, well, and I think women who are not physically beautiful, I hope that well, I Well, you are beautiful. No, well, let's just, you know, let's just I've lost get that straight. I, I, you are, you I, are gorgeous. Uh, I think Rob Reiner was saying you have great lips. <laughs> uh, I think you have gorgeous eyes. Thank you. But because, again, uh, you see the capacity of humanity in your eyes. Uh, that can go in so many directions, whether you're the kindest person or... Uh, the darkest being, uh, as it were, uh, that uh, you can flip in a minute through your eyes. How do you prepare uh, then for uh, this range of characters? How do you prepare? um, Well, I don't know how you work, but for me, it's like every role is a different animal. Mm -hmm. It's like veterinary medicine, you know. And um, in some roles, like Dolores Claiborne, I worked with a movement coach who had a very different way of working of, uh, with a, a black hood uh, to um, really create a canvas mm-hmm. out of the body uh, to get rid of any mannerisms that mm-hmm. you may have built up and create new 
physicality, new mannerisms, new ways of walking mm -hmm. for that role of Dolores Claiborne. I was playing a woman in her 40s and then a woman in her 60s. So it was very important for me to have uh, that those years in between uh, mm -hmm. live in the body and the hands. Uh, and Taylor Hackford directed it. He's Helen Mirren's husband. And so he, he gave us uh, and me uh, the best makeup artist, uh, Liz Himmelstein, who's one of the best uh, vocal coaches, mm -hmm. uh, dialect coaches. And um, at first Stephen King said, oh, no, I've, there's just been too many bad main accents. Don't do that. And I said, yeah, but that's how you wrote it. You know, it's in right. that vernacular. So... Um, but I was really pleased with that film. It, it didn't it didn't get as much attention as I thought it deserved at the time. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was my favorite role because I got to do the work that you and I have been talking about just now to really transform into a character. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, to disappear. Mm -hmm. You know. In fact, one of my favorite lines is Jose Quintero. I did a script interpret with him years ago in New York, and he said, um, "The goal is the line." meaning the line of dialogue, the line disappears and a human being takes its place. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is there any difference uh, preparing for a um, dramatic role as opposed to a comedy, uh, comedic uh, character or uh, a real-life person? Um, are there any differences in approach? Um, I don't think I'm as strong in comedy as other people are because I worked with Steve Carell and those guys on Office, and I thought, wow, I need to... You know, be around these guys and oh, really you, learn Oh, you went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. Huh? You went toe-to-toe -to -toe well, with them. I don't know, them. but it didn't, I it felt so. like I was like, Arr. but, um, so, uh, but, uh, it, it's, I don't know. I, I guess I always try and go for the truth. Yes. I can't. You always I can't try to be funny because if I try to be funny, it mm -hmm. just falls. I fall flat on my face. And what we find in comedy is that we laugh when we recognize the truth of the character. Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you've worked with different people um, over and over again, uh, different collaborators. What's the advantage of that? Um, trust. Mm -hmm. Confidence. Walking in the room confidence um mm. you know you're in good hands it's like playing tennis with a with a you know somebody's going to hit the ball back and and, and mm -hmm. uh, i one of my first talking roles was with dustin hoffman and then i got to work with him again recently and uh, he's just an actor's actor mm -hmm. you know and he taught me a lot he literally took me by the hand on the first movie that i did with him and said now there's the camera there's you know all of this and the I first time around yeah yes. I, it's the first time walking on a soundstage and he was so generous mm -hmm. uh who are those other people um uh, that that you've collaborated with um I'd have to say that the collaborations that I'm most um, familiar with are the American Horror Story. But I've, I've, uh, some of my friends, like Shirley MacLaine, we've worked together several times. Yes. And we're friends. And, and we've, uh, you know, uh, supported each other when we're going through tough times in the business mm -hmm. as we get older. And um, uh, those are the relationships that I think are so important. And it's hard, you know, you've gone through this yourself where, you know, you form these tight, tight relationships and then right. you think you're going to know each other forever and you realize it was just for that part of your life. And some you do stay in touch with, mm -hmm. you know. But um, some you get so busy 
that you you can barely stay in touch with your close friends right. that you know in your life and, and you want to stay close with everybody. Although my phone is making it a lot easier, which is great. You could just whip out a text, you know. And uh, but the people, I mean, the women on um, the women on American Horror Story, Jessica and Angela and Sarah, and they're just uh, you You're want tight. you want to go and work with them. They, mm -hmm. You've got the same work ethic. You know, I remember meeting Angela when she was we were at a summer theater together and she was studying at Yale. Mm. You know, with wow. Lloyd Richards. Starting out, yes. And I just saw her coming up over. We sort of ran into each other, and I just like you just felt there was something about her i just knew at that moment this this woman is gonna be a star she's gonna be a star mm -hmm. she's just got it yes yes and who said that to you first uh george cuker mm. uh when i came out to la to do um vanities we were on the b team you know we weren't well enough to do the a team even though we did it in new york but uh, and I remember going to his house for dinner and sitting next to him, and he said that. And uh, it made me very shy, you know. I didn't know what to say. This great film director, you know. and But, um, you know, you, I've just been lucky, Regina. I've well, been lucky. You have a very humble spirit, and, <laughs> and we love that about you. Thank you. Uh, but you're, you're, you're a beast. You're a monster. <laughs> you're a beast in terms of the acting. Thank you. Uh, and you've had the opportunity to work with uh, everyone. Yeah, uh, it's been and fun. And you bring your full self. Thank you. To everything that you do. Which uh, is I figure if you, if you don't do it, why not? You know, yes. why are you doing it? If you don't do that, yes. then, then why? Which is the magic and delight of Kathy Bates. Thank <laughs> you. Has your process changed over the years uh, from starting out here and, and the tools that you gained here? Yes, and, and I think it's, I don't think it's me that's changed so much as the business. Hmm. Um, it's so fast now, um, and it's been maybe a decade or so. Uh, I had rehearsals with Mike Nichols for Primary Colors. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that producers will pay for rehearsal time, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's very frustrating for me, because coming from the theater, I don't know if you feel the same way. I like a lot of rehearsal. Right, right. And it's rare that you, you do get directors That's who want to do so that. That's so frustrating yeah. for me. Right. And it's so fast. And sometimes you don't get the script until a few days before. They'll change it a day before. Right. And as I'm getting older, it's harder, you know, to to really uh, uh, hold on to that. You get only a one or two takes because they're moving so fast. Mm -hmm. And I'm not as... I'm not as proud, I hate to say that word, but I'm not, let me use a different word. Uh, sometimes when I see a certain scene, it's not up to my standards. Mm. And I don't, and people say, oh no, it's good, but they can say what they want. What I feel about what I know, when I know it's good, when I know I've hit the mark, that's most important to me. Mm -hmm. You defy expectations with the roles that you play each and every time. How do you choose roles? Well, sometimes they're chosen. How do you want to be known as an actor? Um, how do I want to be known? Or Yes. Uh -huh. uh, Is that something that's in your mind as you're no, I think through. I think it it even from the very beginning it felt like a spiritual path. It seemed like I would get a role that had some element in it that I needed to work on for myself. Mm -hmm. 
uh, like when I did Night Mother. My father was quite old and had diabetes, and he was facing an amputation, and he, he tried to commit suicide. And I remember, you know, I mean, how do you that give connection. a pep talk to a guy? He was born in 1900, so how do you give a pep talk to an 83-year-old mm. who doesn't want to live anymore? And he finally said, he knew what the play was about, mm. and it, it was about suicide. And he said, you know how I feel. You're going up there to do that play. Mm. So, you know, it was always for me from one role to the next at the beginning mm-hmm. that spiritual journey mm-hmm. but with with shows like American Horror Story um, the roles are given to you and sometimes they're smaller sometimes they're bigger no uh, you said that you threw a script away one oh, time oh that was Adam Sandler <laughs> and I just got offered to do something with him but I can't unfortunately I'm doing something else and uh yeah, I read the first 12 pages about football, which I don't know anything about and really don't care about. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I threw it away. And my niece said, what is this? And I said, oh, I don't know, some football movie. And she picked it up and it had Adam's name on it. She said, mm-hmm. don't you know who Adam Sandler is? Don't you watch Saturday Night Live? Don't you know the Hanukkah song? So I thought, you know, what the heck? And I went down with a close friend of mine and we had the best time. Mm-hmm. It was a total surprise to me. And... Um, so, but is there any point in your career, uh, is there a time when you feel um, confident that the roles will keep coming? Um, I made a deal with myself when I, very, when I started out because I met other actors who, even before their show closed, was wor- they were worrying about the next job. Mm-hmm. And I made a deal with myself that I just wasn't going to do that mm-hmm. and that I was going to trust uh, and... I don't know. I, I was I was able to do that. Oddly enough, the hardest time was right after the Oscar. Mm, mm-hmm. It's almost that like they feel like, well, you you got the brass, you know, uh, ring. So see ya. Wow. And I remember I lived in the same neighborhood as Ned Beatty and went down to a party at his house. And he put his hand on my head and he said, heal, you know, because he knew that it was going to be difficult. And it mm. took like a year to find a, a role that I was interested in. And that was that was a scary time. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> after Jack, really, I didn't have to go to the unemployment line mm, anymore. Yes. So that was a relief. And you keep transforming, including <laughs> directing. Yeah, uh. I had a good time on Six Feet Under. Mm-hmm. Really did. Um, uh, all theater actors. Francis mm-hmm. Conroy um, and... Uh, um, Michael C. Hall, and they were all so prepared when they came to the set, so it was a joy to work with them. Hmm. Uh, You are tough and brave in everything. Uh, You are um, also a survivor of ovarian cancer, and my mother had ovarian cancer. You are the national spokesperson for the Lymphatic Education and Research Network. You recently testified before the House Committee on Appropriations about the fiscal uh, about the fiscal year 2020 appropriations for the NIH and the CDC. Um, what advice can you pass along to someone who is struggling with breast cancer, uh, lymphedema, or any medical situation? This has been like climbing Mount Everest, I have to tell you. Uh, 10 million Americans suffer from lymphedema, and that's more than multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, ALS, Parkinson's, and AIDS combined. Hmm. 
and about 50,000 of those are congenital. And the rest are cancer survivors because lymph nodes are removed during surgery. And the lymph nodes in the lymph system really are your immune system. They take toxins out of your body. So when those lymph nodes are not there, the lymph fluid backs up in the limb or the legs. And um, mm. I'm wearing my compression sleeves today because I've been a little neglectful uh, uh, the last uh, week or so. And... Um, uh, notice some swelling and so it's a progressive a disease it's incurable um, and doctors I was uh, horrified to learn spend 15 to 30 minutes in their entire medical training on the lymphatic system mm. so that's what we're up against and I was able to speak at the American Society of Breast Surgeons here in Dallas on Saturday and those are the guys that I've been wanting to reach because changing their minds is critical they're focused on curing you of cancer I adore my doctor, my surgeon. He saved my life. Um, but his focus was on curing me of cancer. Yes. You know, they follow you maybe 90 days after that. And so the quality of life is not something that they look at. It's just not on their radar. Um, I remember speaking to a group of, of, of doctors recently at Stand Up to Cancer and giving them those uh, statistics, and there were gasps. Mm. And... So our focus has been to educate patients because, um, for example, um, there's a guy, Ernie Foss. You know, we had the campfire last year out in California. He had lymphedema in both legs mm. and was bedridden. And his caretaker and his dog and he were burned to death trying to get out of the house to the mm. man. The, we at LEARN receive so many emails every week with just horror stories of people being misdiagnosed while the disease progresses for years and years and years. Um, and then you're at a point where, I mean, I had this bacterial infection that you get uh, called cellulitis. And if you don't get the right treatment for that, that leads to sepsis and that is life-threatening. We have a little girl who has it in her legs. We have a little boy who has it in his tongue. Mm -hmm. I met a man who lost three kids to pulmonary lymphedema. Mm -hmm. It is huge. And the other thing is, is that because lymphatics has not been on, on the radar, and that's why the NIH is now getting involved, I, I feel, and many, many of these guys do as well, that it's a frontier that maybe, because this is a system that goes all throughout, it's an open system, it's not like the blood system, mm -hmm. it touches all the organs, and it may have... It may unlock secrets for, for Alzheimer's, for uh, diabetes, for cancer, you know. And we were um, also instrumental in, in uh, helping University of Virginia Medical School, uh, a study that they did on the lymph system. It mm. was thought that the lymph system did not go up into the brain. Mm. Even the CDC recently uh, didn't have that in their files. And the school there realized that it goes up into their head. And not only that, they're, they're starting to learn now about MS and Alzheimer's. Mm. I thank you. I, I thank you for your passion with everything that you do. Thank you. Uh, you have been an inspiration to me. And Thank it you. It's a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much. It's been my honor to speak with you. Thank you.